Today's episode features reselling news from virtually every major reselling platform and a pretty big what sold recap. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk Podcast. Uh, it is, it's been another good week here at the Galaxy. I, <laughs> uh, I continue to hear from sellers that seem to be struggling with the summer slowdown, but that has not been the case here at the Galaxy. We'll get into that in the second half of the show. I've got, I think, about 11 things to share for you in the what sold segment this week uh, but first we're going to cover some reselling news i've got stuff from like i said just about every reselling platform had something going on last week so let's get stuck into it news updates so we're going to start off over on ebay who announced that uh, they're raising some fees uh coming up here shortly Final value fees in the watches, parts, and accessories category are changing. I always find it interesting that they always use this language that kind of dissembles a little bit from what it is they're actually doing. The fees aren't changing. They're going up. They're raising the fees. Just call it what it is. We're big boys and girls. We can take it. <laughs> uh, just tell us that you're raising the fees. But anyway, uh, we're revising final value fees in watches, parts, and accessories. Watches themselves, final value fees, which represent 90% of the sales in this category, they point out, are not changing. So if you are a seller of watches, parts, and accessories, this is going to affect you if you just sell watches, uh, you can fast forward to the next segment, I guess. Uh, following the final value fee change, all categories within watches, parts, and accessories will share a common fee structure. This goes into effect on September 12th. They will increase in the following categories, watch accessories, parts, tools, and guides, and watches mixed lots. There is a chart that shows what the fee breakdown is going to be for non-store and starter store sellers. Uh, previous final value fees were 12.55% plus 30 cents on sales up to $7,500. Anything over that amount was fees at 2.35%. The new fee is going to be 15%, so nearly a 2.5% bump. So that's a pretty substantial jump. And that portion of the fee will be in effect uh, up to $1,000. So this is where it actually starts. If you if you sell big dollar amounts in this category, uh, it may benefit you. Although I can't imagine anybody, maybe a lot, but certainly not parts and accessories, I wouldn't think. You're going to have an individual sale that's over $1,000. I don't sell in that category. So if I'm off base there, you can correct me in the comments below. <laughs> uh, but anything from 1000 to $7,500 will now be at 6.5%. And anything over 7500 will be 3%, which is slightly higher than it was previously. If you have a basic premium anchor or enterprise store, your old fee was 11.7 up to 2500 and 2.35 over that. Going forward, it will be 12.5, so not nearly as big a jump. 
up to $1,000. From 1000 to 5000 it'll be 4%, and anything over $5,000 on an individual sale will be at 3%. So uh, if you sell in that category, you, you may have already seen this, but I did want to bring it up um, because it is another change to eBay's fee structure. Uh, they say they continue to see that their investments in the watches category, such as their authenticity guarantee, are winning the trust of our buyers and sellers. So I don't, they're not real clear about explaining why this fee change is coming into place other than to consolidate everything in that category into one fee. So there you go. Moving on, uh, eBay has entered into an agreement to acquire TCG Player. Uh, eBay has announced that they're going to buy TCG Player, which is a trusted marketplace for collectible card game enthusiasts. Uh, trading cards are obviously an attractive category, which has seen substantial growth. A TCG Player is a leading technology platform for the collectibles industry. They will continue to operate autonomously as one of the largest online marketplaces for trading card games. This acquisition complements eBay's focus category strategy and furthers the company's commitment to trading card enthusiasts, providing eBay with strategic omni-channel capabilities like order fulfillment and cart optimization, maintaining its position as a desirable platform for trading card sellers and enhancing the overall experience for all customers. I don't know, since they're going to allow this thing to continue to operate independently, if their plan is to then at some point integrate some of their technologies into eBay's actual marketplace, or if they're just acquiring more businesses to generate additional growth. Uh, their CEO said, this new chapter allows us to continue operating independently within eBay while also benefiting from their decades of industry experience and resources to deepen the connection between hobbyists and their communities. So if you're a seller in that category, this is this is probably good news. It furthers eBay's efforts to really kind of be a, a huge player in the card category. Lastly, from eBay, their eBay for Business sent out a email. Uh, this The email actually came out, I think, last week or 10 days ago. Uh, but the Congress had, and eBay has been lobbying against several laws, proposed laws that would adversely affect particularly resellers, independent sellers who are selling, in many cases, used merchandise on these sites. The The bills that they were lobbying against, the main provisions that they were fighting against, all were rejected. So eBay was gloating about the fact that they and their lobbying efforts and your letters to your congressperson and so on had had the desired effect. The Shop Safe Act, which was a bill that would would have put in place a number of new restrictions and requirements for sellers, including a three-strike requirement that would ban sellers after three allegations of counterfeit listings. The In essence, the bill was going to make sellers guilty until proven innocent instead of the other way around and would have forced potentially an individual seller like you or I to go up against a massive company with hundreds of lawyers, which would have been obviously an unfair situation. So that one did not pass the Import Security and Fairness Act. That provision would have levied tariffs on low-value imports from China by eliminating the customs de minimis threshold. 
They say many small businesses rely on that threshold and eliminating it would have raised consumer prices and further complicated supply chain disruptions. The last one was the Country of Origin Online Labeling Act. Uh, This proposal, they say, would have required online sellers to disclose the country of origin for all products sold online, including used goods sold domestically. So, uh, again, just kind of onerous regulations that the government wanted to impose on primarily independent sellers. Some of it may have been well-intentioned to protect consumers from potential fraud, but it would have made it really, really difficult for eBay and the other sites to actually police, and it would have made it, made it very difficult for small sellers to be remain competitive. So this was good news that this these proposals did not pass. They are still working to prevent two other or to make changes to other bills that are still going through the uh, chambers of Congress. The Inform Act, uh, this bill would increase the safety and transparency of online marketplaces by implementing workable seller verification and disclosure disclosure requirements while protecting the safety and privacy of our sellers. Given that the Federal Inform Act has widespread bipartisan industry support, eBay's government relations is working to pass the bill before the end of this year and help sellers avoid having to comply with a patchwork of different state laws. So this is something that they're in support of that would make it easier and less burdensome for a seller, an individual like yourself, to prove you are who you say you are. The other thing they're continuing to lobby for that we've talked about on this show seemingly every week is the new 1099K reporting requirements. They want those to be probably somewhere between where they are now and where they were previously. I don't, I think that ship has sailed. I don't think we're ever going to go back to a $20,000 threshold, but something maybe splitting the difference at 10 grand or eight grand, something like that might be beneficial, not only for individual sellers who would not hit that criteria and be issued a 1099, but also on companies like eBay and PayPal to reduce the amount of paperwork that they're going to have to do to comply with that regulation. So they are still lobbying the government to change that. I, you never know with these things, but I would not anticipate that that would change before the end of this tax year, but it could be. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about eBay and how they had, unlike other platforms, given back the pandemic bump in their business. Their business had pretty much gone back to close to pre-pandemic levels. And the other platforms seemed to be doing fairly well. Well, that has begun to change. Amazon announced, according to Boston.com, and again, as always, I will link to these in the show notes and the video description below. Amazon is closing five delivery warehouses in Massachusetts. I assume there are probably others across the country that will also fall uh, to this new plan that Amazon has. The company has said that the workers can transfer to another local warehouse, but they are closing five locations, closing these warehouses to help cope with what they call overgrowth during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The newspaper reported is unclear how many workers will be affected, but Again, they said they will have the option to transfer to other local delivery warehouses. Uh, Amazon, for their part, says we regularly look at how we can improve the experience for our employees, partners, drivers, and customers, and that includes upgrading our facilities. 
These facilities provide upgraded amenities, including increased on-site parking, larger operational spaces, and better break rooms with open market vending. So it sounds like the plan is they're closing some older, maybe, and smaller distribution centers and moving that stuff into newer facilities. However, they have decided to slow the rate of their growth. Now that we're in this quote-unquote post-pandemic phase, they they had huge growth, 220% year-over-year profits in April of 2021, uh, they reported. So just massive, massive growth and profit. But they have now announced that they have paused the creation of 18 warehouses across 12 different states. So they had these big plans for all these new warehouses So not only are they closing some existing ones, they have put plans on hold to open additional ones. So this post-pandemic reset is starting to affect other big players in the reselling market. I don't know. It doesn't say in this particular article whether that will affect necessarily FBA sellers at all. I assume that it will not have an adverse effect on their ability to do those transactions. But I know they've made some changes in, in FBA over the the time of the pandemic, which has made it a little more difficult for FBA sellers. Uh, Etsy really ticked off some people over the last week. So this particular incident does not appear to be super widespread. I, as we've talked about, I'm a seller now on Etsy. I've been there a little over two months. I did not receive any notification of this. I've not been asked to do any of this. So it's either being rolled out in phases or it is only affecting some sellers. But Etsy announced that their U.S. sellers must verify their bank accounts. Etsy said on Friday that U.S. sellers on its marketplace will either need to self-verify their bank accounts or do it through a third party as it seeks to comply with what they called anti-money laundering laundering and related regulations. Uh, Reuters, who wrote this article, talked to several others on discussion forums and sellers were of course very annoyed by the move saying the recommended mode of verification involved providing financial technology platform plaid with their banking username and password uh i'm always a little hesitant to give like really strong advice but man that is something i would never (laughs) in a million years do is provide a third-party platform with my banking password and typically they ask for the routing number and the account number of the account, which I'm all that's I'm fine with that. That's probably bad enough that if they wanted to clean out my account with that information, they absolutely could. But to give a username and password just to me is a, a bridge too far. One seller said this is so typical of Etsy on any controversial subject, but when it has to do with our finances, it's unaccepted, uh, unacceptable, said Dorothy Domingo, who has been selling functional pottery on Etsy since 2008. Uh, Plaid, for their part, um, uh, to go back to my point of not providing them with banking information, agreed to pay $58 million to settle a case that alleged it used financial information without consent. So uh, they have had access to your information if you provided it to them, and they used it in ways that they did not disclose. So absolutely (laughs) would not be giving them my information. Uh, Etsy said it had provided the option to self-verify bank accounts but a seller who did not wish to be named said that process was very tedious. I, it wouldn't matter to me how tedious it was. That's the process I would be going through. Now, I know when I signed up for Etsy, 
back in May, um, I provided my banking information, account and routing number, and I, I'm pretty sure Etsy verified my account at that time because I got the standard one cent test transaction deposit into my account. So I assume that I did not receive this notification because my account was verified when I was set up. I don't know if this is more kind of older sellers who have been on the platform for longer that have not gone through that process. But in any event, uh, sellers were really and justifiably, I think, upset uh, about having to verify that information, particularly through a third party who does not have the best reputation <laughs> uh, for handling your data appropriately. Uh, On to a little better news over at Etsy. They have uh, announced that they're going to have uh, Etsy Up, a holiday edition. So it's kind of a virtual meetup. Uh, as we head into one of the busiest shopping seasons, we're always looking for new ways to connect you to educational content to help you grow your Etsy shop. We're excited to announce that we're hosting Etsy Up Holiday Edition on September 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to help you get ready for your best holiday season yet. It is their first ever global seller event. They say they will be sharing uh, insightful content from Etsy experts and fellow Etsy sellers to help you prepare and grow your shop this holiday season. Uh, the team at Adobe will share how you can use the professionally designed templates in Adobe Express to create your brand, enhance your shop, and streamline your social media marketing workflow. There is a link in the article to RSVP to claim your spot at Etsy Up. They note it is totally free and open to all Etsy sellers. Attendees will receive a free four-month premium trial of said Adobe Express. So that's pretty cool. So if you're inclined, if you're an Etsy seller and you want to participate in that, uh, there should be a link. You may have already received an email for this, but it is in the community forums under announcements. Uh, Poshmark had some good news for their sellers. Uh, I said at the beginning we were going to hit almost all the reselling platforms, and boy, we've, we've about nailed them all here. Uh, Posh Post update, shipping during the holiday season. They say, quote, you may have seen the recent announcement that USPS will be increasing their shipping fees for the holidays effective in October. I'm happy to share that Posh Post prices will stay the same despite the USPS rate increase. That's fantastic. Good on them. Uh, we're committed, they say, to delivering features and programs to support our community, and we strive to negotiate the best shipping rates so that you can rely on fast, simple, and affordable shipping you've come to expect with Posh Post. For more information, please visit their website, and thank you for being a part of the community. So kudos to Poshmark for not passing that pricing increase for the holidays along to their sellers and or buyers. Uh, that's that is really helpful if you sell over on Poshmark. And lastly, and this is from Mercari. It doesn't necessarily relate to Mercari specifically. It is much broader in terms of reselling. They did a report on reuse, and their reuse report revealed that parents are projected to spend $12.8 billion with a B on secondhand products by the year 20. 30. Uh, Mercari, an online marketplace that connects millions of people across the U.S. to shop and sell items that are no longer being used, today released its Reuse Report Family Edition. This is a follow-up to last year's inaugural Reuse Report, which I think I covered in an episode last year. This focused on the resale ecosystem through the lens of American families and parents. They say, 
Our study reveals that the resale market for kids and babies products is expanding rapidly, especially digitally, with economic challenges being a driving factor of this trend, said John Lagerling, uh, Mercari's U.S. chief executive officer. Consumers are being mindful of their budgets and want to reduce waste, which are primary growth drivers in the secondhand market, and we expect this growth to accelerate through 2030, which is obviously, that's a long time. That's eight years they're projecting of growth. During the last 12 months, preceding our survey, two-thirds of American parents surveyed said they purchased kids and baby products secondhand. For those who are just starting the families, this number is even higher with more than eight in 10 buying secondhand kids and baby items. 59% of secondhand shoppers surveyed said the top reason for buying secondhand is to save money, while 27% said they turned to resale for kids and baby items due to rising inflation, stretch their budgets, generate extra income by monetizing items they no longer use. So this is a, can affect people on both ends. If you are a parent and your kids have outgrown certain things, Mercari is saying, hey, come sell them on our site because we're anticipating this massive growth of buyers. So it's a great opportunity, not only for Mercari, but for all these platforms and for all of us as individual sellers. If this is a category that you currently sell in, if it's not, it might be one that you want to consider because that is pretty staggering growth. Uh, Mercari said that 50% of parents surveyed resold children's items in the last 12 months with 47% saying they did so to make extra money. We've talked about this previously, but American households are currently estimated to sit on a staggering 272.6 million unused kids and baby items worth an estimated $13 billion. So there is a lot of money in that market to be made. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Speaking of selling, let's take a break and do some what's sold. So as I said at the outset, it was a really good week at the Galaxy. It was another of those weeks where I had sales on all four platforms. I had two sales on Bonanza, I think probably 12 or so on Etsy, several on Mercari. I had my best week in quite some time on Mercari and then a ton on eBay. So it was a very productive week. You can let me know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube what kind of week you had and how different platforms are performing for you. But for me, it was a pretty spectacular week. We're going to start off with this old book. I've talked about math and science, old vintage textbooks previously. This is another one of those mathematics and Plausible Reasoning, Volume 1, Induction and Analogy in Mathematics. This was published, I believe, in the 1960s. So it's not super, super old, but again, as I've talked about with these books previously, anything pre-1980, pre-1970, they're probably worth taking a look at. This was part of an estate sale buyout I did. I owned this book for a dollar. It sold for $19.99 plus customer paid shipping. Uh, another book from my big lot, uh, that seller reached out to me actually over the weekend and they are going to have another big batch of books ready for me. So I'll be picking up another probably 1,000 or 1,500 books from that sale later this week. This book from that earlier pickup from 1915, The Boys Outdoor Vacation Book by A. Hyatt Verrill. This was a illustrated hardcover with its dust jacket. So fairly unusual 
a book of that age that still had a dust jacket in really, really good condition. This thing sold for $21.99 plus customer paid shipping on a cost of goods sold of about a nickel. Uh, again, old science book. This one from 1955, The Atomic Nucleus by R. Evans. was part of the International Series in Pure and Applied Physics. Uh, this was McGraw-Hill did a, a range of textbooks in science and in mathematics that were part of series. These books generally do pretty well for me. This was one that I picked up at an estate sale for 50 cents some time back. I had it listed for $29.99 or best offer. I actually sent out an offer to a watcher for 15% off and sold this thing for $25.49 plus shipping, which was $5.50 media mail. So that gives you some idea of the size and weight of this book. Again, old science books, anything, atomic physics, nuclear physics, any of that stuff I typically do pretty well with. A CD. Uh, This is one from the big... 8,000 plus CD lot buy I did. Gosh, it's been two years ago, a little over two years ago now. I continue to sell every week CDs from that lot. So that has been just a fantastic buy for me. This was from a band called The Golden Tones. The album was called Atlantis. It's from 1994 on a record label called Big Mom Records. It was a pretty rare piece, hard to find, not a ton of them out there, especially new and sealed. I originally had this thing listed pretty high at $49.99 or best offer. It is in my current 35% off sale. And someone made me an offer of $29. They wanted an additional $3.50 off. I own it for about three and a half cents. So I took that deal, 29 cents, free shipping on a CD. Another book, another science book. From the 1960s, Introduction to Quantum Mechanics by Robert H. Dickey and James P. Whitkey. Uh, Another illustrated hardcover. Again, I'll just keep harping on it. Uh, (laughs) Old science and math textbooks can be really, really strong. This was part of an estate buy. I owned this thing for a dollar. It sold for $29.99 plus customer paid shipping. An old atlas. These are pretty hit or miss. Some of them are reasonably valuable and some of them are not worth much at all. This particular one did do pretty well. This was from 1915, the Hammond's Home and Office Atlas of the World. Again, I've had it for quite some time. It's in my 35% off offering. Originally priced at $54.99. I had it on sale for $35.74. It got a watcher. I sent out a 15% off offer and sold it for $30.38 with free shipping. This was again part of an estate buy. I own this for 50 cents, so that's a pretty nice flip. Again, as usual, not these are not hundreds of dollars of sales, but because the cost of goods sold is so low, they end up for me being fantastic sales at 96-98% margin. So a lot of folks, as I've talked about previously, don't want to mess with you know, kind of these sub $50 stuff. But man, I sell these things all day long. This was an interesting item. I picked this up at an estate sale for a dollar, a BASF Studio Series 7-inch by 1,800 foot, 1 mil reel-to-reel tape. This was new and sealed. Um, if you're familiar with old like 60s and early 70s reel-to-reel technology, This was one of those blank tapes. 
still in its wrap, which is really unusual. They're hard to find new. This one did have something loose on the inside. You could hear it rattling around, so I don't know if there was maybe a small chip out of one of the reels. I disclosed that in the listing. I had this thing listed for $34.99 plus uh, priority mail shipping. This actually sold to a customer in Japan through eBay's global shipping program. Uh, Sale on Mercari, uh, a neat old book. The pictures from the life Martin Luther, a historical life picture. This was from 1882. So again, a really old book was written by M.J. Regal. Um, Part of a big lot of books that I own for 50 cents a piece. This sold on Mercari for $42 with free shipping. A sale on Etsy. Uh, Eat Well and Stay Well by Ansel and Margaret Keys. This was a book club edition of this book that was published by Doubleday. It was a 19, I want to say 1960s era book, hardcover with its dust jacket. Book club books can be hit or miss. Some of them bring pretty good money. Some of them have no value at all. This one, not too bad. Part of the big lot that I owned for less than five cents went for $37.99 plus shipping. Another book also from that lot. Uh, This went at auction. First edition printings of this book had run anywhere from mid-20s to upwards of $80. So I took a flyer on this and listed it at auction starting at $29.99. Ultimately, it only got four bids, but it did close at $41 plus shipping. Again, it's an item that I own for about a nickel, so I will definitely take it. Uh, Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. This was written by Alfred Lansing. Again, it was a first edition illustrated hardcover in its dust jacket in reasonably good condition, not pristine by any stretch, but pretty good. It is a fairly hard, the book itself is not difficult to find. There are tons of them out there, but a first edition in this kind of shape was a little bit more scarce, $41 from a nickel. I haven't talked about these guys in a while. So a couple of, man, it's probably been almost three years ago now. I bought a huge collection of old science fiction magazine digests, Galaxy and Astounding Science Fiction and Fantasy and Science Fiction, uh, tons of, uh, there were nearly 700 in this lot. Some of them are by pretty popular authors and included their first ever written works. There were things by Philip K. Dick and uh, the guy who did the Game of Thrones. His name escapes me at the moment. So some of those, their actual first published work were in these pulp science fiction magazines. So some of them brought pretty good value. I'm now down to a lot of them that I've got priced for like 6 to $8. I had one buyer that bought six different magazines, all galaxy science fiction, all from the 1950s and early 1960s. The total sale was $51.39 with free shipping. I own them for 44 cents a piece, so I've got less than $3 cost of goods sold in this thing and went for $51.39. And that, I believe, actually, is the flip of the week. Uh, Again, not a massive, not hundreds of dollars in sales, but you do a lot of these little sales it all adds up to, for me at least, quite a bit of success. So let me know if, if, you, uh, if you heard anything useful or worthwhile in this episode. If you could do me a favor, if you're watching on YouTube, 
click that thumbs up button and let the algorithm know that this was a good show. Uh, if you're not currently a follower of the podcast or a subscriber on YouTube, please consider doing that. I would love to have you along. I am. Uh, we had an in- interview actually scheduled for last week, and at the last minute, uh, the person got called in to work and was not able to meet me. So we're trying to reschedule that for this week. So we may have another episode for you later in the week that will be an interview. If not, we will catch you again next week. In the meantime, uh, hey, it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.